Good afternoon. My name is Bob, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Bob. Every man has his own courage, but it is betrayed because he seeks in himself the courage of other persons. Ralph Waldo Emerson. Other people always seem better than me, more confident, more at ease, better able to deal with life's problems. I only knew how I felt and how others looked. When I came to OA, I heard, don't compare your inside with someone else's outside, and God does not make junk. Each time I am aware of the tendency to put myself down, I affirm and follow through on my belief that I deserve the same credit I give to others. I treat myself as I would treat someone I love and respect. For today, liking myself as God does, opens new doors, evokes a new spirit that gives me courage and makes room for true humility. Thanks, Bob. And our speaker today is Daryl from Covina, who will speak for 25 minutes. Thank you. My name is Daryl, and I am a compulsive overeater. Hi, Daryl. And I think it was Peter that said uh, once, if you want a small meeting, uh, go to a step study. I say, if you want a small meeting, go to a men's meeting in OA. So (laughs) I've got a small meeting here today. Um, I think that uh, on the one hand, I... I, uh, uh, I was thinking about that uh, what an unlikely candidate I, w- I would be to lead the men's stag, and I started thinking further about that that the uh, the, the reason is not so much from the outside because uh, statistics are that uh, I've been a member of OA, abstaining member of OA uh, for 16 years. Come next month, um, my top weight's 312 pounds, maintaining currently 147 pound weight loss, and and uh, that the uh, the highest I've been in OA after losing the the weight has uh, has been uh, still 120 some odd pound weight loss. So, uh, so from that standpoint, why not? He's a man and and, uh, and and have him lead. But the reason why it's a miracle, I think, that I'm up here is because I'm comfortable being here, and that's what's changed in, in Overeaters Anonymous for me. And so I was thinking about uh, today rather than than uh, focus a lot about my own story and, and, and that it's really more about the focus that we have on this meeting it's a special focus meeting and um, so I wanted to just talk a little bit about my history just from the standpoint of how it pertains um, I think that one of the reasons why uh, I, uh, I feel that it's a miracle that I'm up here and feeling comfortable about being up here uh, is because that I was obese as a, as a kid, and I think that anybody that uh, that uh, deals with uh, childhood obesity and, and uh, grows up uh, uh, with that uh, has some real self-image problems. And uh, and even even though that this isn't about uh, gender and gender identity and all of that kind of stuff, it sure as heck had a lot to do with the way I felt as how I fit in as a man and, and my own masculinity. In some ways, was really uh, uh, personally in doubt. Well, it didn't look that way. To to a lot of other people and I guess what uh, uh, in looking at the reading today when it talks about uh, about courage and, and things like that I can really see how it does apply uh, to the men of OA because 
Uh, I'll tell you one of the reasons, my own personal opinion, why uh, we're outnumbered five to seven to one. I, I'm not sure exactly what the latest numbers are, but over Readers Anonymous, it's not because we outnumber the, the women in, in, uh, uh, in our ability to abstain from compulsive overeating naturally or that we have the genes not to or whatever. It's because a lot of men lack the courage to walk in the door and say, guess what, I'm a compulsive overeater. This isn't AA. This isn't NA. I can't talk about the uh, people I threw through the, the barroom window or cracked over the head with a bottle and, and uh, the cars that I stole and all that stuff. What I can do is I can come in here and tell you guys about how I hid in the closet Nate, or how I snuck bread into my bedroom and hid under the covers and had a mini binge. And that's not very macho stuff. You know, that's not the kind of stuff that, uh, uh, that's, uh, that's going to uh, uh, kind of fit the role of, of manhood and masculinity that we've been given by the society that we live in. And um, so anyway, I, what, uh, what happened for me was uh, as, a, as a child, um, uh, growing up, uh, being embarrassed and shamed on numerous occasions by my peers, by the adults in my life. Uh, I can remember my mom telling me, why can't you be like your cousin? My cousin was catching touchdown passes for the, for the high school team. And I do think I didn't want to be like my cousin. I wanted to be like my cousin. The only difference was probably about 100 pounds. You know, I couldn't. Uh, and, uh, and he had a, he, he loved, he, he loved to, uh, the physical stuff, the, the working out and doing the things that went along with it. And, and I hated that stuff. And, uh, that wasn't my idea. I just did. That was the way that it was. Uh, I, I learned at an early age a very dangerous place for me to go was, uh, to the uh, neighborhood uh, swimming pool. Uh, uh, you can start in the, in, the, in the locker room when you put your, your trunks on and take your shirt off and then uh, and, and, and it starts there and the shame follows you out of the locker room into the pool and it follows you back out. Is there any surprise that I'm not a golfer today? Golfers take showers in the shower room. Hell no, I'm not going there. And, uh, and, and I learned that at an early age. I didn't come to OA until I was 47 years old. And, um, uh, and when I got here, uh, uh, there was, I had already built in my defense system. And, uh, and, and so uh, I, have, I come from a, a family where my dad was a man's man. Uh, this guy, I can tell you uh, stories uh, about him uh, and some of the, uh, the, the manly things uh, that he did. And he never was a shamer, and, and he never shamed me. Yeah, you know, I have to say that. And uh, but he had a sense of self, and he had a sense of his own masculinity uh, that uh, that dated back to uh, when he was a, a kid. Uh, some of the stories that I've heard from other people about him as a kid. Those are, he's the kind of guy that I I wish I, I had been. Uh, he's the kind of guy that fit my mental role of what it took to be a man and to be successful at being a man. So when I came to Overeaters Anonymous, uh, the, uh, the, in the reading today it talks about, uh, uh, about uh, in some ways, about looking good in, in that. And I think that, uh, um, I think it was Clancy from AA that once said, I never met a man who looked as bad as I felt. And, uh, and I think in some ways that that's, uh, that tells a uh, part of uh, uh, of me that nobody I was a great pretender I, I did a good job I was uh, 
uh, running a business, I had 100 people working for me, a CEO had been for a number of years, well respected in my industry, um, and was known was actually uh, uh, later on elected to uh, to fill the role of uh, uh, of the chairman of that uh, of that uh, industry for the United States, and, and so all of these kinds of things looked good. The only trouble was was that I knew that I was pretending, and uh, they didn't because I was so good at it. So I told to come to OA. And I'm going to tell you that there, I was thinking about this, that there, that there are four people that, that really impacted me, and they're going to be kind of embedded in my story, but I, I can tell you who uh, some of them are right now. Uh, Peter S. Uh, was definitely uh, one of them. Uh, he was a member of OA when I got here, and, and um, uh, then there was uh, uh, Del T., uh, who was a guy that I sponsored, Kelsey, another guy that I sponsored, and uh, Patrick O., uh, another guy that I sponsored. Uh, with the exception of um, uh, the exception of uh, Peter and, and Dell, uh, the other uh, the other two guys are, are deceased, and uh, and there's some courage uh, even in that uh, in, in those stories as well. But anyway, I, I, I walk in the door of Overeaters Anonymous. I become abstinent at my second meeting, and I'm feeling pretty good. I'm in the uh, the Skivy inner group. The, uh, that inner group uh, is like the rest of a lot of places in OA. There was no men's meeting at that time, and so any meeting that you went to, you were outnumbered by the women there. And guess what? I was comfortable there. I didn't mind being outnumbered uh, with the women, and it was something that was uh, fine with me. And there were meetings that I went to. I'll tell you a meeting uh, that I went to that was basically a women's stag meeting, and I was the one, the one guy that was sitting there. And that was the uh, uh, Sunday meeting at the uh, uh, Intercommunity Hospital, which uh, kicked off at uh, 1 o'clock. Now, that's also the time the NFL kicks off is at 1 o'clock. Well, there's no guy going to be sitting in that meeting, but I was a compulsive eater, newly absent. I had been an NFL um, a real addict for, for a number of years, and it's one of the things that got lifted along with the abstinence coming was, uh, was my addiction to that. But uh, at that point in time, I actually really would rather be in that meeting uh, than to, to, uh, to be sitting at home and watching the game. And, uh, but I, but I, there was a lot of men bashing and stuff that went on at that meeting because there were a lot of women there that were pissed because they were there and, and, and their husband was home uh, drinking beer and, and watching the game. So uh, that was, but I was, I was okay there. I was comfortable in that setting. And uh, then uh, I uh, uh, began, uh, I, my sponsor uh, is a woman sponsor. I have the same sponsor I have since I started. Uh, so she's been my sponsor for uh, uh, over 15 years. Uh, she's very much uh, grounded in the big book. Uh, she has started the, uh, the, the step study that still goes on at, at Skivvy and uh, uh, was also a member of AA, uh, was, uh, uh, has been a really great sponsor for me. And when I, when I picked her uh, as my sponsor, or asked her, uh, she had to, to agree because she typically doesn't sponsor men, and this was an exception for her, uh, was uh, there were a couple of things. Uh, there was uh, one guy that I had encountered who I had I thought about the, that would be a good sponsor for me, uh, uh, Ken Al, and uh, Ken was, uh, uh, he's now retired, and I think he lives in Montana, but but uh, the, the guy was had a, he was a great guy and uh, he would come uh, through uh, town every once in a while but he didn't live in the area and uh, I think he lived in Hesperia if I'm not mistaken 
so uh, that wasn't a, a likely candidate. But uh, so I, I asked my sponsor, uh, uh, the lady that's my sponsor now and has been, Karen, uh, if she would sponsor me. She thought about it for a minute and she said, yeah, one of the reasons why I picked her was because I knew that she was going to be tough. She wasn't going to be the kind of person that was going to pat me on the head and tell, you know, and, and I got a lot of that. Being a, being a guy at the, at the OA meetings, I got a lot of that. I got a lot of, uh, you know, you're an okay guy, you know, and, and uh, hang in there. It's good to have a man at the meeting, all this kind of stuff. But uh, when I uh, when it came time for me to begin sponsoring, I didn't feel that I was ready to sponsor. And uh, she said uh, she said something like, "Well, it's not your job to to uh, to figure out when you're ready to sponsor. It's your job to identify." as a sponsor and I, was, I just finished my, my fifth step so she said it was time and uh, God will tell you when you're ready to sponsor he'll send the people so I started identifying and one of the first people that came to me was a woman uh, that lasted a very very short period of time because uh, uh, I was in my first marriage at the time and it did not help that first marriage to have a woman calling me and so I, I talked to Karen about it and she says well uh, she said, you know, honestly, she said, there's no reason, uh, there's no shortage of women sponsors in, in OA. There's no reason for you to sponsor women. I said, oh, that makes sense. So since then, I've always identified as uh, that I sponsor men. I, when I when I identify at a meeting, I always say I sponsor men uh, because I think it's rather than reject somebody, I'd rather let them know up front that that's the way it is. And uh, one of the first guys that I sponsored was Del T. Now, I'm going to say some things that, that may break Del's anonymity but uh, 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 in some ways I think it's really important to what we're talking about Dell is a guy that wrestled AAU until he was 37 years old uh, Dell was a Laker was a trainer for the Los Angeles Lakers and um, uh, has written a book on training in that Dell picked up a bucket of ice uh, as he was volunteering on the sidelines of a, of a junior college game something popped in his back they did a surgery that was went bad and Dell was crippled from the waist down and ended up in OA because he started to gain weight because he couldn't be as active uh, as he was so I have this guy that, I, that I'm sponsoring and has no trouble identifying with his masculinity and has no trouble going into locker rooms you know this is part of his life and this is part of who he is and um, so they're having the first men's retreat up at Casa de Maria and I uh, uh, no way I'm going to a men's retreat I mean not even on the, on the radar screen for me and Dell says hey they're having this uh, this thing up there you want to go well, I'm not going to tell him I don't want to go and I think they're sold out and I have heard that they were and he says well we'll try anyway and so he puts our name in and what do you know they have a cancellation a week before a couple cancellations is a week before he says pack your bags we're going and um, so anyway, at that point in time, I said, oh, great, you know. And so we go up there and walk in that first retreat. Peter and Richie are the, are the co-leaders, uh, and, and they're going to be the leaders this year, and I'm definitely going to be there. Uh, but anyway, they're the co-leaders, and we walk into the, to the meeting, and there's, uh, there's these 75 guys up there, and, I, and no women at all. And, uh, and all of these great feelings I felt about myself of having a year of abstinence and, and uh, working the program and being a, a big shot at my local meeting just poof, 
it was gone. I felt so out of place at that meeting. And so, uh, guess what? I sit in there, and the first guy, they, they're starting out with open sharing at the, at the, to kick this thing out. And the first guy gets up there and tells how he feels like he's out of place being there. Second guy, same thing. I'm not going to get up and share that kind of stuff, you know. I'm still sitting there trying to figure out what's going on. Peter gets up and he starts his first presentation and he said one of the things I think that really brought a lot of freedom to me and he talked about uh, about being a man and his masculinity and everything he says you know it's like being in a card game and he said that you're playing cards and now somebody uh, uh, calls you and you're supposed to say what you got and he says a guy over there says I've got aces and eights and I've got queens and threes and you look at your cards and you got your rats and elephants and he says that's what it felt like for me to, to be a man in this world and I, I really identified with that and, and I and, and I thought wow you know I can I, you know I can I can go with that and so it, it then it, it was almost like it gave, it gave me permission to feel uncomfortable with uh, with being there um, and shortly thereafter, and I, and I started uh, meeting with Peter uh, on a real regular basis. He was uh, at that time working at the uh, Optimus Boys Home uh, uh, over um, in the Eagle Rock area, and I would uh, I would go over and uh, I would sit with him, and and I would like to say for hours. I'm sure that it wasn't much more for 45 minutes or an hour at a time, but it felt like that uh, that, that it was for hours, and uh, and there was a lot of stuff that flowed out of that, and I could talk to him about some of the problems I was having in my marriage. I could talk to him about some of the other things going on in my life that uh, uh, that were really important and I got a I got a, a man's perspective on that and a, 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 a program man's perspective on it and Peter of course comes from the same kind of background that uh, that we come from he struggled with his weight and all of that stuff so he knows the shame of this disease so um, Anyway, so that, so Peter becomes a, another one of those players in the in, in, in this uh, recovery. Uh, uh, let's just say the, uh, uh, the 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 masculine role recovery area for me personally, and uh, the uh, uh, and shortly thereafter I start uh, I start. Uh, uh, um, sponsoring a guy named Kel C and, and Kel uh, was uh, uh, was a pilot uh, and uh, he was not only a pilot he was uh, uh, he was a radar uh, uh, officer uh, in the uh, in the second in the back seat of a uh, of the jet that flew off the carriers for the Navy in Vietnam been in combat had been an officer and uh, ended up having to retire because he was a compulsive overeater and could not stop could not contain the disease any longer and was not able to climb back into those planes and even though they took him out of the planes uh, it got to the place of where he just he just couldn't stay in the service it, the, the, the disease had got the best of him but here's a guy that's 6'5 and, uh, and and at the time weighs uh, somewhere around 400 pounds and, and he's not taking any crap off of anybody and, uh, and he and he, and he carried himself like an officer and he talked like an officer and he taught me an awful lot about not uh, uh, not cowering uh, because of this disease and, and just looking at him and he had the courage to do things that I never would have had the courage to do uh, one of the one of the things that uh, that we ended up uh, doing because of Cal is starting the men's meeting uh, in uh, in Covina in Clendora um, and uh, he um, 
we started the uh, we started the meeting. I meant to bring the uh, I, I meant to bring the the sweatshirt with me when I came in, and I forgot it at the room. But basically, the year anniversary, they uh, uh, Cal and, and one of the other guys from the meeting went to the other guy's place. Now the other guy was happened to be a guy that made and designed grave markers, and so he has all this equipment to do this. And they designed the shirt on this equipment to make grave markers, which I thought was kind of ironic in a very appropriate way. But anyway, so the shirt says on it. it first of all, it has the the symbol of masculinity or the male with the with the circle, and it has the arrow, but it has an A in the middle of the circle, so it's O A, and it's uh, but it's a symbol of a man. I think it'd be a great universal symbol for the uh, for the men of O A actually. But uh, anyway, and then down below it, it, it or above it, it says uh, men's stag meeting, uh, uh, first anniversary or first birthday, and it has the date up there, September 1988. And then down below, in big letters across here, it says Macho Dudes. And then underneath it in smaller letters it says powerless over Twinkies. Now I want to tell you something. These guys could wear that shirt, and I, I would wear it to the meetings. But I'll be damned if I was going to wear it in public. You know, I'm not going to call myself call attention to myself like that. And uh, but that was the, the and that was the kind of influence that I had that kind of started uh, my uh, me on a different track as far as becoming more comfortable with myself as a man and and uh, getting more in tune with that. And then um, uh, later on, I, I got to sponsor uh, Pat uh, O, who, who passed away uh, in, uh, about a year ago. And, uh, and Pat was a great guy. And this was a guy who had been uh, a therapist for, I don't know, 30 years, 40 years, a long time, had uh, gone in the, had been in the Peace Corps, had done a lot of things. But he was a very sensitive guy. And he was a kind of guy that was, uh, that uh, almost like was, was, uh, uh, and questioned everything. No, you could not give him something that he wouldn't question. He'd challenge you, and uh, and he challenged people, but he did it in a more intellectual way. As whereas whereas Cal was the kind of guy that was basically, you know, he would just do it with his thunderous voice and and his presence uh, uh, that, uh, that 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 came from being an officer. Why why Pat uh, Patrick did it more from the uh, from the standpoint of uh, uh, of just uh, intellectually, and he would challenge you, and he would bird dog you. Too. He wouldn't let you give an easy answer, and I think the irony is uh, of the whole thing is that uh, the Patrick. Uh, I was sponsoring Patrick, and he was a hell of a guy to be sponsoring. I'll tell you because he would challenge everything. You know, you're a sponsor, so what? You know, <laughs> you prove it. You 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 convince me that you're right. And uh, anyway, but it, uh, uh, he was a member of, of AA, and in, uh, uh, in the last uh, few years of his life, he uh, he goes into AA, and he and he gets Dr. Paul to be a sponsor in AA. So Dr. Paul, the writer of our our fabulous page 449, the guy that writes about. Uh, Acceptance and everything. I guarantee you, he got tested, and uh, and and they got in big fights, and uh, and and and, uh, and there came a point in time when, uh, of course, uh, uh, they, they basically, I guess, he got fired, and uh, and so then uh, and, and so. Uh, uh, what happened then, of course, was Dr. Paul passed away, and then shortly thereafter, Patrick passed away. So I'm thinking, boy, there's a hellacious meeting up there someplace right now, and it's uh, it's going to be something to sit in on. But uh, uh, one of the things that, uh, it, it, and it's a it's a great 
uh, I think a side to this is that um, with Patrick, uh, oh, uh, oh I, I got a call one day from the Skivvy office and they said, you know, uh, uh, we just heard that Patrick died and uh, they're, they're uh, having the, the memorial services over in the local park, Kadena Park, where it's real close to my office. And I said, well, hell, I got to get up there. Why wouldn't they call me? So I go up there. And I'm looking all over the place. It almost, you know, you ever saw that, that movie, Ned, 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 World, where they're looking for the treasure. Well, I'm walking around this park, and I'm looking for somebody that I know that, that that's there, and I can't see anybody, and everybody's having a picnic or something. And, and uh, I see one guy from, from OA wandering around. So, hey, what are you doing here? And he says, well, I heard that Patrick died. They called me from the office. And I say, yeah, but I don't see anybody. I don't either. And I said, yeah, I'm going to call his house and find out what's going on. So I have my cell phone, and I call the house. And Patrick himself answered the phone and uh, and I said Patrick I said I heard that you were dead and he goes no hell no I'm not dead and so we had a good laugh and we went out to lunch that's what all you guys do you know as we went out to lunch and talked about it but talking about the courage that that reading opens up with is that Patrick came uh, it told me that uh, the valve that they had put in his heart was failing and that uh, and he thought about it how much it uh, how much it had cost him just from the standpoint of how many years of his life to adjust to the to the being placed in there he was in his 60s when it was put in and uh, and he says you know what he says I've come to the decision I'm not going to do it again I'm not going to do it again I'm going to I'm, I'm going to because he says I'm you know I'm, I'm seven years old or eight years older and, and he said if it was that tough then it's going to be even tougher now and he says the odds aren't as good as they were then and he says I, I'm just going to go with it when it gives out it gives out and uh, and, he, and he was enjoying his life, and he started having some health problems and such. But he was enjoying his life, and uh, and and I saw a lot of courage in that. Kel uh, uh, died fighting the disease. There's courage in that. He died as complications of uh, of uh, bypass surgery, uh, but he didn't die from the disease. He died fighting the disease, and uh, and I think that there's a there's a big difference there. Uh, Dell is. Uh, we're going to see him. Uh, uh, in about uh, three or four days, he's up in uh, in Menden, Nevada. He's retired up there, and uh, we're going to make that part of our vacation. His health is failing, uh, uh, but he's uh, uh, he's still hanging in there, a great guy. And of course, uh, Peter's uh, uh, still around, and, and so that's kind of the the players that were there. And I just want to I want to close with a story that that has to do with the men's retreat at Casa de Maria, and and, and a great a great bit of, uh, uh, I would say, uh, service uh, that, that, that came from, uh, from the men of the program. And it's the story of Teddy. Teddy was a guy that was six, seven hundred pounds, huge guy. And uh, we, uh, uh, Cal ran across him someplace, and Cal had this, this truck that was uh, like a little flatbed truck, but it had big doors, and you could get Teddy in the truck. Cal was a big guy could help him get in. And so he would take Cal to, he would take Teddy to meetings. And then we started talking about, well, it'd be great to take him to the men's retreat. And, uh, and we used to take uh, Teddy to the, to the men's meeting. We'd go out to coffee afterwards. Well, we'd stop at, at the local Denny's. Well, they have all fixed seating. You can't, there's no way a 700 pound guy's going to slide in one of those booths or even sit in a chair. And so, uh, and, and so we would, we would sit in the waiting area in the, in the lobby and have them bring out a tray and, and set it there in front of Teddy. And we had, we, we'd have our coffee right there. And this was, uh, uh, and I think that, uh, uh, that this was kind of setting the stage for some stuff. And what happened then 
was that uh, we decided to rent a van and took, uh, took Teddy up to the men's retreat. And, uh, and, and the people, the guys just rallied around Teddy and they just loved him. And uh, uh, the next year, it was one year later, and uh, uh, there was, uh, uh, Teddy was, uh, was failing and, uh, and had died. And uh, Cal and, and another guy that I sponsored were doing kind of a death watch. They happened to be in Chicago when he actually passed away. And, and when the other guy called and, and told, told Cal what had happened, Cal said, you can't get away with it forever, you know, and I think there's a lot of truth in, in, in what he said there. So I, they, they're going to have the funeral exactly one year later, and it's the men's retreat re weekend. I'm asked to do a eulogy at the funeral by the family, and so I go up to the retreat on Friday night. I tell the people I'm not going to be here tomorrow. I've got to go down there and this is what's going on. And one of the guys says, oh, you know, I brought the picture from the group picture from last year. I don't know why I put it in there, but he put it in there. And they said, let's pass it around and put or put um, messages on the back. And they asked me to put it in the coffin when I get back down there. And I said, sure. So they pass it around. These guys write these beautiful, beautiful things on the back of this picture. And I take it back down there, and uh, and I ask the mom. I says, okay, if I put this in the coffin, I said the guys up there want to wanted me to do that. Uh, that was her way of saying goodbye to him. And and she said, let me look at it. And she starts reading this stuff. She starts crying. And she says, no, I got to have this. She said, I cannot tell you the things that people have said about my son while he was alive to me. Why don't you do something about this guy? And what a fat slob that he is and you know and what's wrong with you as a mom all of the shame all of the crap that we know in little doses this guy and this mom this family got in huge doses uh, for a number of years and uh, and and so uh, we you know I, I, we did that she she kept that that was probably the most cherished thing that she could have as, as a result of that and, uh, and and you know there was a uh, um, uh, there was a side of this that was just uh, it was just incredible. There were guys that uh, that had written things on there, and I just thought about it later. What what it was an, out, an outpouring of love from the men of Overeaters Anonymous to a fellow compulsive overeater had nothing at all to do with his weight, with his body size, and maybe just one little, little thing to finish with. Teddy was 32 years old when he died, and that's what kind of disease we have. And uh, and I want to tell you something. We may be outnumbered in in OA by the women. Five or six to one and I don't know why this is true in my area but it is definitely true is that I go to more men's funerals per capita than, than, than women's funerals and, and, and program that, that I have personally uh, I've gone to funerals of five guys that I've sponsored and, uh, and, and I've gone to a lot of other men's funerals and a lot more of women than I have of women's funerals and uh, I don't know why that is but all I know is that, that there may not be many of us uh, that have the courage to come into these rooms because of this disease because it's not a, a, a manly macho disease but by God uh, those of us that do make it we need it and I uh, appreciate you guys being here and, and uh, being able to speak to you today thank you thanks Daryl um, it's now time for sharing on the topic since this meeting is being taped Make sure to sign the release um, uh, after you share. Those wishing to share, it says please line up on the right, but uh, just, you know, raise your hand. It's a small meeting. It's, I don't think I need to set a time limit. This meeting's not over until 3.50. So come on up and share, please. Anybody? 
The topic is uh, men's emphasis. It was on page 24 in uh, the for today. And anything there? It's a men's meeting. Hi, my name is Dan. I'm a compulsive overeater. Thank you, Daryl. Really appreciated that. It's funny that you should mention that about guys dying. You know, when I was in the treatment center that introduced me to OA, the roommate that I had, we were the only two men in the treatment program. Um, somehow, well, he ended up dying just a couple of years after I. Uh, he was 19 when we were in the hospital together, and by the time he was 21, he had a heart attack and died. And, um, you know, that's, it, it just made me think that, uh, you know, that's been a lot of years now, and, you know, this disease took him way too young. Um, my story in OA is that I came here through a treatment program in 1992, and I weighed 461 pounds. And I got struck abstinent. I think some of you may have heard that expression. And I was completely relieved of the desire to overeat, just taken right out of me. I thought, uh, you know, root, stock, branch completely, but uh, the root was still there. I just didn't know that. Um, after a couple of years of abstinence, 250 pounds had been melted off my body. And... Uh, through the, pro through the process of my ego regrowing itself, um, I slipped into relapse and put back on over 100 pounds. So I stand here today as a, uh, a man in OA, um, a relapser, um, but not a quitter. Um, there have been plenty of times where I've gone to meetings defiant, uh, not liking uh, anything at all about the meeting, um, hating the fact that I needed to be there, but knowing that I needed to be there. There's no other treatment for what I've got. And uh, it's, a, it's a horrible feeling to be a man who cannot control what he puts in his mouth. I mean, that, that's just like, you know, uh, forgive me, I hope you're all drivers, but it's like, to me it's like a man who can't drive or a man who can't tie a tie or a man who can't, you know, um, I don't know. It just seems so ridiculously weak to not be able to control what I put in my mouth. And to come to a place and admit that, you know, openly all the time, um, it, it, it does seem weak. But, you know, that's the truth. When it comes to food, I'm weak. And, I, and it's not just weakness. I have an obsession of the mind that says, eat this thing that your body will develop a craving for as soon as you eat it. You know, if I didn't have the craving, you know, that obsession, you know, I'd indulge it every now and then, but the craving wouldn't kick in and I wouldn't have to keep eating. If I didn't have the obsession, then I would know that if I eat this, I'll get a craving and I wouldn't eat it. I have a nephew who's allergic to peanuts. He has a horrible physical reaction to peanuts. He does not have a mental obsession to eat peanuts. He doesn't want to eat peanuts because they make him sick. I'm, my disease is just the other way. Like, I, I have an allergic reaction to peanuts, and I want to eat peanuts all the time. That's insane. And um, I don't like, uh, I don't like, this. another way that um, being obese and a compulsive overeater affects me is um, breasts. You know, breasts, 
don't belong on a man. I'm sorry, I'm saying that. It, you know, I don't like hairy breasts either. And um, there's something about that that makes me feel um, less masculine. And, uh, you know, just uh, to, to look at myself in a mirror and see a soft, round, pudgy, uh, it's not the picture of masculinity to me. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's not attractive to me. And uh, it makes me think less of myself. And the crazy part about this disease, the shameful part of it is, is that I, if I had 20 beautiful women telling me how gorgeous I was, I still wouldn't believe it. I would still believe that, no, they're wrong. This is, this is the truth, you know. And uh, I need to be, in a way, I need to take this disease seriously. I'm getting to the point. I've got a, I've got my first varicose vein, guys. And uh, when I saw someone in a meeting pointed it out to me very lovingly, hey, isn't that new? And I go, oh, great, something else to feel ashamed about. Now, now my, now my obesity is giving me varicose veins. And uh, you know, time is running out. I need to abstain today, and that's all I want to do. That's why I'm here. And. Um, this tape is going to keep running when I'm done, so um, I, I hope some of you will share something about your experience, strength, and hope with me. Thank you. Now? Go. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. My name is Dave. I'm a compulsive reader. Hi, Dave. So I always good to be at a men's meeting. That's, a, that's my home meeting is a men's meeting, and it's my favorite meeting. And uh, and Dan started it. And uh, Oprah Christianity, my God, uh, we started. We started it. Yeah. Now, I started it. I helped start it because they asked me if I knew a place to have the meeting, and I found a place as close as I could to my house. <laughs> I'm not defiant at all. Uh, I like the reading because. Uh, uh, I, I always uh, have wanted to be like you because you've always been better than me. That's the way I felt. I even sit in this room. Come in the, I still feel that way. I come in honestly. I come in the room and I look at other men. I go, wow, if they ever find out how I feel about myself, you know, those are old feelings I still have. You know, I don't act on them uh, anymore like I used to. I still have them. You know, if somebody told me a long time ago, you know, feelings aren't facts and you're always going to have feelings and it's okay. But if you don't share them, you wear them, and all this kind of business with things we hear, little cliches in the program. Uh, but uh, I've spent a lifetime trying to get you to love me and uh, and approve of me in so many different ways, uh, even today. Uh, you know, it's, I think it'll probably always be a challenge. It's just, you know, just the wounds that I carry around from being an adopted child, being raised by two people that fought every day of their life until they got divorced. Uh, abandonment is a real issue for me. I mean, I, I know I've written enough about it. Uh, but I think ultimately what the reading said is uh, the, the salvation for me was to finally uh, let go of the defiance and accept a loving God in my life, you know. And, and uh, I was the sponsor of this gal, and I think she's wonderful. And uh, we're, working, we're working the steps, and we're on that second step, and we're looking at what kind of, what our barriers are in the AA 12 and 12 to... Uh, having a relationship with God uh, and uh, you know I, I'm either the defiant one am I the 
the man that had faith and, and God didn't meet my demands certainly did. That's why I went out and ate again. I'm, I, I parallel a lot of uh, what Dan said because I came in the program and I believe I was given a gift when I came in here. I mean, I look back on it and it was so easy. It was just, there's, people used to call me on the phone and said, I'm at the 7-Eleven, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. I was on the hotline and I, I just went in there and ate a bunch of stuff and I can't stop eating. What should I do? I said, just don't eat no matter what. Well, I didn't have the the understanding of what it was like to lose it or never, to never have abstinence since I came in the program. I saw what was going on in here, and I I bought it hook, line, and sinker, you know. Uh, everything except the steps and the God stuff, you know. Heck, that uh, as the seven step says, uh, you know, uh, we don't we didn't we don't think too much of pain, you know. I mean, everybody else in the world accepts that life is painful. Not, not somebody like me. I, 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 I want to put something on top of it. So uh, to feel the discomfort of some of these things, uh, it's no wonder that I ate, you know. Uh, and, and, and a sponsor helped me see that. But, uh, of course, uh, uh, today uh, I think the greatest thing that I can say that this program has given to me is I can actually sit in a room by myself and feel relatively comfortable. That might sound silly, but I've met a millennium of people that can't stand to be with themselves just like I was. Uh, you'd come over to my apartment and say, isn't there a Coke machine? I mean, this happened to me. Isn't there a Coke machine out by the pool? It was 170 pounds, you know. Uh, yeah, be right back, Dave. They'd leave that, slam that door, and that, that old feeling would come over me, that just terrifying thing of uh, never, never coming back, you know. So uh, that's why I spent most of my life falling you around. You know, and uh, and trying to do do better all the time. You know, now I'm getting ready to retire, and I don't want to follow in the footsteps like my father wrote a lot about him. You know, I, I, my dad couldn't stand being retired. He had to go back to work. You know, because he wasn't anything unless he was working. And uh, so, you know, that's a real. I'm just like my father. You know, and uh, a, a lot of those things I like now. That my dad was. I had a really great work ethic, but. The, the part of me that can't be with myself is a challenge, and, I'm, and I, I think I work on that all the time. Thank God we have this fellowship and other men to share with. I don't think there's anything like what we have in, uh, in this program. Uh, I've met some absolutely incredible men. My friend Don is my best friend, and uh, uh, you know I never, <laughs> I never had a best friend that had just accepted me the way I was. I always had to do something special. You know, sometimes I look, I compare myself with his family. And my family, and I say, well, Jesus, you know, I didn't even like to talk about my family. I'm so impressed with his. I can't do that, you know. We meet in such an incredible way in here when we let down the defenses. And uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I think I'm the first one signed up for that Casa de Maria retreat. That's a winner. And uh, I like being with guys like you there. Uh, I want to be a part of you. I don't want to feel separate from you. That's my disease is to say, well, you're different than me. You don't understand. And I think you do. And, uh, and I, I pray to God that I'll always understand you and not, and not feel separate from you. That's a challenge, too. Anyway, thanks.
Hi, my name is Don. I'm a compulsive reader. Hi, Don. Uh, and um, good. It's good that I'm here. It's good that I'm here. Uh, been in OA for about ten years. For the first five years, I remember I carried this book around, never opened it. Pages were still stuck together. Something a new book. Okay. <laughs> and uh, left for about six months and came back when I was invited back because of the. Uh, men's book study meeting in San Diego and I was very fortunate that the fellow who's no longer in the program incidentally asked me because he wanted to go with somebody but um, I came here to this retreat or this convention rather with a lot of trepidation because I don't think I can it's, it's sort of ironic but it's, and it's true I don't think I can get well I can recover on my own and it's good that I think that way because I can't uh, I really need the fellowship desperately. I, 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 I love the literature. I read it. I study it. I do whatever I can in terms of service. But it's the collective effort of this group, and especially men's groups. It's, it's, uh, a lot of my issues, I think, are, are relatively gender-specific. It's that collective energy that comes from people wanting to get themselves better that I think sort of maybe sucks me along. You know, I, I think maybe in the more uh, you know abstract or theological viewpoint, I think it's God's will that you know we as humanity and maybe men in specifics in, uh, specifically are you know responsible for one another. You know, uh, I can't get myself better. Somebody telling me just suck it up, Don. Just don't eat doesn't work never did you know and if that if that if that uh, statement would come from somebody close to me I get really upset and if it comes from somebody close to me who happens to be a female that's that's the end of the subject you know then then all then all reason on my part is lost but I I, I think uh, you know when I came here I was a little concerned because I have some issues about carrying the message in this fellowship real big things and I think really uh, the reason being is that I, I feel that if we don't perpetuate and do what we are supposed to do as, you know, the primary purpose is to carry this message of recovery to others who still suffer in and outside of the fellowship, if we don't do that as a collective unit, that somehow or another my chances of recovering just get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, and then I'm going to go back to the way I was before 08, which was just a real shit pot just I mean I hope I never forget how bad I was and something that occurred here at the at the at the uh, uh, convention in fact it was a display of the name Overeaters Anonymous that was what it was and uh, and it affected me a lot because it started me fearing that if we don't make outreach to the people out there about the wonderful, wonderful things that can happen in these rooms and it happened to every one of us and probably has happened to every one of us regardless of our body size or our weight, regardless of whether we're big or puking our guts out or whatever, you know, that if we don't do that, I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose. And I got very, very fearful of that probably a couple hours ago. A couple hours ago. So it's, it's please, uh, you know, I'm, from a selfish viewpoint, uh, if you can do any type of service or help out, sponsor, you know, do anything. Uh, tell people that you're going to a, a retreat, an Overeaters Anonymous retreat. Uh, you're going to go to an Overeaters Anonymous convention and saying those names, Overeaters Anonymous, you know, it's sort of just it's a little bit of an insurance policy for me, and I feel I'm going to be able to, to, to recover. 
Because I think without this, uh, without that, you know, I'm dead. I'm lost. Um, you know, there's a, just a couple things sort of came. It's in the big book, it's um, Dr. Bob's Nightmare. And uh, it's my, I sort of equate myself to Bob. Maybe it's a grandiose thing. But Dr. Bob was a really, in many respects, a miserable, you know, attempt at recovery. He'd get, he'd get better, get sober, not drink, and they'd go out and drink again. But he kept tagging along with Bill Wilson. That's sort of an unusual deal. Um, but he brought a lot of good people into this, this program. It says here, I spend a great deal of time passing on what I learned to others who want and need it badly. I do it for four reasons. I have no idea why I'm crying, but... Four reasons. Sense of duty. He thought it was the right thing to do, you know. That's a pretty manly thing, I think. Pretty masculine thing. I think it's a pretty human thing. The second thing, it was a pleasure to do. He found fun in it. It was enjoyable, you know. Uh, the fourth thing that I make it the third, because I don't think it's the most important, is because every time I do it, I take out a little more insurance for myself against a possible slip. And the last thing to me, which I think is marvelous, is that because in doing so, I am paying my debt to the man who took time to pass it on to me. And it's, uh, you know, we we gotta, we got to bring this message to people out there. We have to. Because uh, without this program, I would be in a real big mess, real big mess. Uh, you know, my, you know, I'm so grateful for what's been happening to me over the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, as I've been in the program ten years now, and uh, but my whole view on what I do and my relationship with food, because I'm a compulsive overeater, has changed big time, big time. You know, it is about the food for me. You know, I got a ton of crap that I have to deal with. But I, I have a relationship with food. I don't have it with sex. I don't have it with, with money. I don't have it with drinking or gambling. But I do with food, and that's where I go. Every time I have problems in my life, that food looks real good. And for the last couple of weeks, the food has, has been sort of just what it is, just food. And I'm really, really blessed for that. And that's because people like you come to this meeting, and I get caught up in this wave of positive, strong energy, courage, and strength that I think makes my life a better place and allows me to make better decisions around food, especially when I'm not feeling good, especially when I'm stressed or dealing with those issues that life is full of, you know. So it's a, it's a, it's a continual thing of, 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 of evolving and getting better. Um, the one thing I, I just want to end with is this thing. I've been, I've been carrying this with me for literally about the last 10 years. It's called The Measure of a Man. It says, the measure of a man is not determined by a show of outward strength or the volume of his voice or the thunder of his action. It is seen rather in terms of the nature and depth of his commitments, the genuineness of his friendships, the sincerity of his purpose, the quiet courage of his convictions, his capacity to suffer, and his willingness to continue growing up. And I just pray to God that I always keep growing up and with you, gentlemen's support and strength and involvement in this program, I think I always will be. So thank you very much. God bless. Hi, I'm Jeff. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm here from Northern California and uh, 
Actually, this is my first men's only meeting. They just don't have them up there in the Sacramento area, so maybe that'll be my service is to start one. And uh, I wish it only was one to five or one to six ratio, um, but that's not a, that's not what it is up there. Um, uh, I, several meetings I regularly go to, I'm the only man in there. Um, and it's true, there are a lot of unique issues of being a compulsive reader and, and being male. Um, just like there's, I'm sure there's some unique issues being female. But, but it's always funny because it doesn't matter what we're talking about. Somehow, somebody will bring up something about their husband, their boyfriend, whatever it may be, and all the eyes turn to me like I am the personification of everything that's wrong with males and causing them to overeat. So I've developed a, a bit of a, uh, uh, a thick skin related to that. And, uh, and like a lot of us, uh, my relationship with food started early in my life. Um, I used food for an escape from a, a bad childhood. You know, when uh, for me there was a lot of fighting uh, between my parents, and the only time that I actually ever had any peace, I was I would get up in the middle of the night and I would be having cereal or make myself sandwiches, and that was the only time I ever had peace. It was nice and quiet. It was just myself. Nobody was yelling. Nobody was screaming. It was just food in myself. And that's what I ended up, you know, I, and I took that very thing into my adult life. Things get tough, I go away and eat by myself. And uh, it, uh, uh, but that was okay as long as I was, uh, up until about three or four years ago, I was, I was very active. I'd play basketball. I'd go out and play, you know, two or three hours of full-court basketball. Uh, I would run, uh, play softball, play rugby, you name it. Uh, and as long as I was spending all those calories, it didn't show up on me here. But, you know, within a, within a short amount of time, I had a knee injury and I had a shoulder injury, and that was pretty much it. Uh, I was had stopped exercising, so all of a sudden, uh, I went from being around 180 pounds to all of a sudden being close to 300 pounds in a short amount of time, um, generally eating the same amount of food I did before. And, uh, but it fit, it, it fed on itself. The more weight I put on, the worse I got about it, the worse I felt about myself. So it's this vicious cycle. And, and, uh, and, and, and you're right. It, it's, yeah, you look in the mirror and it's, it's just not manly to see, especially compared to what I had been. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, my, my self-image has gotten to the point where I think it was Groucho Marx that said, uh, I would never want to be a member of a club that would accept me as a member. And that's, you know, that's kind of, you know, in the same attitude I have about myself. Um, and so I'm very, iso very isolated, you know, just... You know, for a lot of cases, it was, you know, I'm going to say something to you before you say something to me. It's very difficult to get along with people when you do that kind of thing. Um, and you had to pretend that you didn't care that people, you know, thought you were a jerk because you did that kind of thing. Um, and you just want to make yourself feel better at the expense of others. And that's just not a way to live life. Um, and... Uh, so I eventually got into Overeaters Anonymous. Um, it's really changed the way I live. I don't have the physical recovery that I want right now, but I'm coming back. I've been coming back for, you know, two years now, and I'll go ahead and I'll start 
you know, eating like I should, start getting a little bit more exercise, and it'll start, you know, start working. And, you know, it's just all of a sudden, you know, slowly creep back. Um, because I'm still working on some issues that I really don't deserve, you know, to be healthy or uh, to be active, to be happy. Uh, but I am coming back. And it's working a lot of other uh, parts of my life where I don't have to sit there and uh, make myself feel better at the expense of other people. Um, you know, when I first came in here, I didn't know any of you in here. I've never been to a men's only meeting. I was sitting there kind of, should I get up and go? You know, I don't know anybody. I just told myself to shut up, sit down, and listen. And I heard a lot of stuff that I needed to hear. I heard a lot of stuff that was common to me, and I realized I'm no different than these guys. These guys go through, in general, the same things I go through every time. And uh, um, so we do have that in common. Um, and when I hear people talking about you know, masculinity and those kinds of things that I don't get in meetings I go up in Sacramento, I sit there thinking, oh, yeah, here we go. Something that I really can latch on to here and I'm certainly glad I stayed um, and uh, like I said maybe that's you know my big service is going to be getting that meeting men's only meeting started in Sacramento area so thanks for listening for me guys I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Dick. Uh, I remember a good big tip when I was, I was always small, never had a weight problem, didn't know what a weight problem was when I was younger. But when I got about 35, 38, 40, it's when I started getting that spread. I was a weightlifter for many, many years. I was one of those idiots that used to pick up cars and stuff like and put them up on sidewalks and stuff. And uh, then I started gaining weight and everything went started going downhill. I didn't have the energy anymore. I didn't have anything. So I was lucky. I had a my wife was in a in program and she told me one day, she said, I'm going to go to a meeting. I said, what the hell are you going to go to a meeting for? Well, she said, I'm going. So I went with her. I sat in the back of the room and I listened for two years. I listened. Didn't do nothing. I, but I felt I belonged. And finally, uh, uh, everything started going down. I still gained weight. I was going to meet. I went up to 325 pounds. 
And I said, God, you know, I was so sluggish I couldn't move. So I started coming, to, going to meetings, and I started working the program. And you know, my weight started coming off. I went from 325 down, now I weigh around 251. And uh, God, my life got better. Everything. Uh, and, uh, and I started really enjoying myself because I didn't have it has the problems of the physical problems. I have one now that I have that why I'm in here. If I got a sciatic nerve that pinched because of my weightlifting, it curved my spine. And my spine pinches my sciatic nerve, and I can't control my left leg. And it's getting better, but uh, I still have that problem. But God and OA has given me back my life. They've given me all back my life. It's made my life worth living now. Because for a long time there, I, I was given up. Because I figured there was nothing for it. What could I do? I'm just going downhill. And then when I started working this program and doing the step work, going to meetings like I do, my life completely changed and my weight started taking care of itself. My eating completely changed. That, that's what really made a difference. It changed, did it? I didn't feel like eating like I used to. And once I did that, and my life made those changes, I said to myself, God wanted me here to take care of myself. And without this program, I can't take care of myself, because I can't do anything alone anymore. And I, I come to this meeting here, this men's meeting, but I'm the one of only three men in Fresno. I've been around women for, since I've been in the program for 10 years. And, uh, so it's been an enjoyment. I, I got women sponsors. And when I needed, I asked the women for it. And you know, they, they helped me so much in program. I can't believe it. I said, well, what the hell is women gonna get? You know, there's so many things you can't tell a woman, you know. And uh, so I said, well, I, I just got to open up. I did. And I got a woman sponsor. She's the one most wonderful person in the world. And uh, I've had her now for two years, and it's been great. But I still want a meeting where I've got enough men to involve. I've tried to get men to come to our meeting. I get them for one day, two days. That's it. I sell books. Uh, I'm a literature person. And present. I sell books that are going on in my air. I still can't get anybody to come back. Especially the men. The women come back. The men will not come back. I just think they just haven't got the initial, the intestinal fortitude to admit that they have a problem. And how do you get them to admit it? And I had to admit it myself, and I had to start taking care of myself. 
And since I have, my life has changed. I'm waited. I figure my weight's going to take care of itself if I live long enough. Thank you. Everybody, my name is Richard. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, guys. And I'm sorry I missed uh, the beginning of this, but I was in a the one next door about fear, and that's my big one, you know. Uh, especially, you know, being in front of a bunch of guys. Um, when I was young, my my father was rather domineering, and you know perfectionist and I could never do anything right you know I could remember so many times hearing him just if I didn't do it his way if I didn't read his mind if I wasn't him uh, I heard about it and it just made me curl up inside myself I was afraid of everybody and everything you know and uh, and that squirted out in in weird ways uh, this is my second addiction. This is the one that squeezed out when I got recovery in my other one. And, uh, and that's just the way it goes. I, you know, this is the one I'm dealing with. That uh, it's, it's the unconscious one where I, uh, you know, it, it's the harmless one is the way I label it, you know, just little bit of candy here and there, uh, you know, a little tart, piece of banana bread, all those little things that uh, are harmless, you know. They just make me feel better until it became the way of life, you know, and I saw myself doing the exact same thing I was doing in the other one. Just uh, instead of me enjoying it, it was controlling me. So that's, uh, you know, I, I feel like God doesn't give us what we can't handle. But the corollary is God does give us the thing that we've got to look at in the moment that we've got to look at it. And this is the one that I'm, I'm looking at, you know. It, I want it. I want to eat. I want to have that sweet taste in my mouth. I want the world to mimic that sweetness, you know. And uh, the truth is, the world is the world, and my life is my life, and it's what I make of it, you know. I could sit back there in that back row and just sort of be a lump on the log and not let you know who I am and just sit in my fear and, you know, or I can come up here and look you all in the eye and um, want to develop a relationship with, with guys, you know. My first addiction is I want to develop a relationship with women. And I'm dealing with that in here, too. You know, coming to this program, it's like there's women everywhere. And, uh, of course, there's a part of me that wants to do what it always did, you know. <laughs> and uh, after 15 years in that program, thank God, I 
now can look women in the eye and see real people, you know. My fear is getting up here in front of you guys and looking you in the eye and, you know, seeing people that I want to get to know and, and you know, it sort of scares me to say love. <laughs> but uh, it, it's just wonderful. It's wonderful. I, I think this is the first time I've ever revealed my, my big secret, you know, not in my other meeting, which is all guys. All guys. And I feel, when I went in there, I was absolutely terrified. Absolutely terrified. And then when, the first time I came through the door and heard people talking about the thing I was so scared to ever mention before, um, something happened to me but it, it happened only in that small group and it's just wonderful coming here and talking in front of people that I don't know about who I am and what goes on with me and you know the fact that we share this thing about eating you know the addiction and the disease just wants to squeeze out in, in whatever form it can take it, can, it wants to take me over. Um, and I think God doesn't want that to happen. God wants me to be happy, joyous, and free. And I can only do that by coming here, you know. Thanks. My name is Bob, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Bob. Hi. Um, believe it or not, I do a lot of public speaking, and I am terrified to come up here, <laughs> and I don't understand that. Um, I don't have the story to tell that you tell. My story is different, and maybe that's kind of nice and that we're all different. Um, I have a sister who has a joke that the two of us talk about... Uh, we were raised by loving parents, and when you talk to be people like that, you say, well, how can you possibly have a problem? You had all these loving, caring parents, which I had. You know, um, I have been involved with this compulsive overeating for two years now, maybe a year and a half, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, my significant other was involved in it, and she said, come along, you're obviously a compulsive overeating. And there's no doubt I am. This is the first time I've been in an all-male group, and it's wonderful. Um, I can't describe the joy of being in such a group. My only problem is I was coming in here with the anticipation of saying, well, this is good. I get to ask questions in the end of this thing, like all those other women groups. So I had all my questions lined up, but you guys never gave me an opportunity to ask the questions. So I'm going to ask the questions anyway in the hope that some of you could be helpful. I would love to find a sponsor, a male sponsor. I have no idea how to do that, okay? So if there was a little question thing, you know, pass that on. How do you get to one of these? You talked about a meeting in Santa somebody. San Diego. San, no, it's not San Diego. Santa Maria, was it? Oh. Okay. Santa Barbara. I have, was that Santa Barbara? I had no idea where that was. 
You know, how do you find out about these things? Uh, your problem is guys won't come to your meetings. I'd love to come to your meetings if I could find out where they are. Um, how do you tune into that process? And uh, that's really the situation. Um, I would love to participate more if I could figure out how. Um, that's the end of my story. I'll sign your book. <laughs> You're supposed to answer those questions. I get your retreat form. thank all you guys for sharing your experience, strength, and hope, and I'd like us all to thank Daryl for leading the meeting, our speaker. Um, now time to close the session. Uh, please join me in a minute of silence. Stay in your seats for a true minute of silence because we, we have the time. And then we'll circle up and uh, say the serenity prayer.